Hi everyone, I'm Nicolette and welcome to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and our church community. Today, Pastor Jordan Taylor is continuing in our series, Life in His Name through the book of John in chapter six. Pastor Jordan reminds us that God's care and tenderness towards us and his never ending provision is part of his character. There's no condemnation or judgment. God sees our human needs. It's in his character to respond by taking care of us. And in return, we are to go deeper with him. You know, as we've been saying, throughout this entire time that we've been in this gospel, uh, that John has been sort of handpicking and curating different stories, different teachings on Jesus with a particular purpose in mind. And we've been saying it as a part of our call to worship every week, and we've been reading it in our introductions each week. And, you know, I think as the repetition sort of starts to set in, I think we can say, like, we're getting it, right? This is about life in Jesus' name. But you know, so that we can remind ourselves, and I can remind myself even yet again, uh, you can see John's goal purpose verse in John chapter 20, verse 31, where he says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, when you believe, at that moment, as you continue to believe, you may have life in his name. And I've found this helpful, you know, as I come into the gathering of God's people, whether I need to be reminded of these things, whether I need to center my life or recenter my life on Jesus and life in his name, that we continue to come back to this, that we might experience this true life in Jesus' name. Now, last week, uh, Char taught about the many who testify that life is found in Jesus. And he went through several different witnesses in John chapter 5. And you might remember that he concentrated specifically on the scriptures, right? He focused on how the scripture's purpose is to testify of this life in Jesus. And he challenged us, right? Did you not go away challenged? Like, okay, don't look at the scriptures merely as a source of inspirational quotes, right? But read it afresh. Read it afresh as about God who comes to the rescue so that I and we can have life in Jesus' name so that we can be who God created me or us to be. Now, that section in John chapter 5 really sets us up uh, for what comes after in John chapters 6 and 7. And in those chapters, specifically at the end of 6, which you'll see next week, and in chapter 7, uh, John is going to talk about how the crowds misread and misunderstand the scriptures. And they miss the whole point. But sandwiched in between those teachings is my section today. This little section that illustrates something so very important. And it's found in two very common stories, stories that we might know about Jesus as a God who sees human need, who cares for humans who are in need and comes to the rescue. Now, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you've probably heard of the feeding of the 5,000, right? It's the only miraculous sign told in all the gospels besides the cross and the resurrection. So obviously this plays a really important role in the community of believers in the first century, right? But 
you know, we should mention that it's probably not just 5,000. It's probably more like 15 to 20,000, right? Because they just count the men in this section, but we'll get there, so hold on. But if you've been a follower of the Lord, you've probably also heard about Jesus walking on water. It's, it's one of the most famous stories of Jesus coming to his disciples in, his, in their moment of need. Now, I'm excited to retell these stories uh, because, again, I think that they showcase something important about our God. They showcase one of his attributes as a God who tends to human needs. Now, recognizing our own human need is fundamental to receiving Jesus' care for us. In fact, you could probably go so far to say is if you don't recognize your need, you won't receive the things that God is giving you. However, in our story here, we see that uh, we, it's important that we realize that God also wants to take us deeper than merely our own sort of expressed needs. And this is really the plot twist of the story here and really the plot twist of the next couple of chapters. Who will be the one to see that Jesus is trying to reveal our humanities and our specifically deeper need? Who will be the one to see it? And who will receive Jesus at that moment? Now, a friend of mine, uh, he grew up on the mission field. He's now a, a software engineer at Microsoft and a, a lay pastor at a small church in the Seattle area where I'm from. And he calls key moments of human need divine crossroads, right? Those moments where you don't know which way to go. Do I go to the left? Do I go to the right? Do I you know, forge straight ahead? Unless God shows up in those key moments, at those divine crossroads, with his grace, unless God supplies his grace, you will not move forward. You're stuck. Now, if I'm honest, and I like to be as honest as I can with you guys, I've been stuck at those divine crossroads several times <laughs> in my own key moments of deep need. Uh, for me, it's not so much if <laughs> I'm going to experience key moments of deep need. It's more like when. I don't know if you guys relate to that, uh, but that's me. And so far, at each of these moments, Jesus has been present. And so far, at each of these moments, I have received his care for me. Jesus, who rescues, has drawn near, cared for me. And the, really the only way to explain it or to express it is really to call these things kind of like epiphanies. Where in the moment where I'm not sure which way to go, how to navigate, the Lord supplies either some kind of knowledge so that I can understand the greater situation, the greater circumstance, or some type of direction so that I can know, okay, yeah, I need to go this way or I need to go that way or I need to act in this way or respond in such and such a way. And if I had time, I could probably sit down with you and tell you that those deep moments of need that I'm talking about were not easy moments in my life. It wasn't rosy. It wasn't like it was so clear. And everything just worked out. 
No, going through those deep moments of human need were very difficult. Just like we see today with the crowds and with the disciples. These are difficult. When we're talking about our own human needs, these are difficult moments. And today, I hope you will see that in those moments, Jesus does see us. He does care for us. And he will come to the rescue. Now, our story picks up here in John chapter 6, sometime after the events of chapter 5. And Jesus, sort of geographically, is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee from where he normally is. Normally in northern Israel, up near the Sea of Galilee, he's in an area known as Capernaum. Here, he's on the opposite side, taking some time to rest with his disciples on one of the hillsides near the lake. And you need to imagine that this is springtime, right? The Passover festival is coming near, and this Passover festival is, is kind of like a combination of Christmas and the 4th of July, right? So you need to imagine that there's this spiritual and social element here where, you know, yes, the crowds are gathering together, together to celebrate, and we celebrate, what are they celebrating? They're celebrating God's provision. So there's this spiritual, social element. They're enjoying and feasting, but then there's also this political, national holiday side where they're celebrating their freedom as a nation, and they're hoping for relief from present suffering that they're experiencing just like Israel experienced that relief long ago. You could say that in this moment around, you know, the barbecues and the picnic blankets and all of these things, people are looking for answers. Now at this moment, it's about one year since Jesus started his public ministry. And these stories here in the Gospel of John will be the final two miraculous signs that John talks about in this region of Galilee. So we're, kind of, we're coming to a bit of a crescendo, a moment, a key moment. And the crowds following Jesus, they've been growing and growing. And so many now are following him. Why? Because they're of the signs, the miraculous signs. But at this key moment, the question is, Will the crowd see who the signs are pointing to? Yes, in chapter 5, Jesus is healing this disabled man in such a powerful way that he's able to rejoin the community in ways that he's never known. Yes, it's amazing. It's worthy of celebrating God, but it's not just about the man and his healing, not just about how it affects the community, but it's representative of a God who cares. Will the crowd see this? And will they receive it? However, the crowd responds to Jesus, whether they believe in him or whether they reject him. And trust me, in the two or three chapters that we've got coming, there's lots of rejection. Not everyone will believe. But whatever, if they believe or they reject, the point in today's message in these two stories is that Jesus sees human need. He sees it. Look at verse 5. Again, and it says there, and again, you know, Jesus is retreating and resting with his disciples. When Jesus looked up 
and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus saw them, and implicit in Jesus' words and actions is this posture, this characteristic, as a person who cares. He doesn't see these crowds as, oh, man, they're here again. I cannot get away. He sees them in a particular way, and he sees their need, and he doesn't just see it, he does something about it. So he asked the local, right? Philip. Philip is from Bethsaida. It's at the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. Hey, Philip, you're from around here. Tell me where the nearest Walmart is so we can go get these guys some food. Now, there's a greater context here, you know, for Philip and for the disciples. Jesus is asking them this question. It's it's a really interesting question on the disciples' side, right? What is Philip's response? Does he even see the crowds this way? Does he see their need? But again, the point today is Jesus' perspective. Jesus can hear the growling stomachs seeking him out. Even as he retreats for rest with his disciples, Jesus is alert to the seekers and the circumstances of the national holiday. He feels it. He knows it. And you can feel in John's retelling the constant rumble of human need and wonder, how is Jesus going to provide here? Human need, when we talk about human need, it, it really is the epitome of being human. If we talk about being human, we are quickly talking about how I'm, I'm only human. Right? We have needs. What will God do with the constant pressure of human need? Now, Philip doesn't know how to respond. He knows there's no local food mart nearby. He says, not even eight months of salary can give these 20,000 people even a bite. Now, if you're in the food industry, let me just illustrate. This, this amount of money is probably like $1 to $2 a head. Right? I don't even have $1 to $2 a head to provide for these people so they can have a little bite. They, they don't have anything. So what are they going to do? How are they going to respond? Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, this story might beginning, uh, be beginning to sound a little bit familiar. It sounds a lot like Exodus 16, right, where the Hebrew people are also in a tight spot there. They're hungry and in need of bread. And similar to our story here, God sees their need And he reveals his plan to Moses to rain bread from heaven. And John says it here, right? Jesus, he knows the plan in his head. He knows that he's going to take care of their need. I mean, think of, again, the circumstance that they're in. It's a national holiday. It's Passover. Israel is celebrating divine provision, That God came to the rescue. And John is 
intentionally kind of weaving this story into the expectation of the crowds, into the circumstances that the crowds are in. Why? Because he's trying to draw their attention to the deeper need and even our attention to our own deeper need. But again, the question is, will they, will the crowds, and will we see our deeper need. Now, neither Philip nor Andrew nor any disciple knows what to do. So what they do do is they simply bring what they have to Jesus. Now, this is a great posture for any follower of Jesus. You might not know what to do or how to respond. You just bring what you have to Jesus, and he takes care of it, right? But what do they have? They have five small, cheap barley loaves. This is the bread of the poor. And they have two pickled fish. I think it's, you know, obvious to say, but what they have is inadequate. But that's the point. Five small, you know, loaves of bread, the bread of the poor, and two small pickled fish are not enough. That's John's whole point. But nonetheless, they organized the crowd into groups. Again, much like the Exodus story, they organized them on the springtime grass. And look at verse 11. It says that Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. I mean, Jesus, he gathers the crowd around. He's about to multiply the loaves so that all people have bread. But in the moment, in the sign itself, he's trying to point to the God who is doing this. He gave thanks for these things, saying, God is the one who is with me. God is the one who is guiding me. It is by God's authority and through his will that I'm multiplying these loaves of bread. What does that tell you? That God wants to provide, even in the sign. But I love this little word that John chooses at the end of verse 11. He says that they ate as much as they wanted. I think it's worth it to pause here and just focus on this word wanted for just a minute. What John is talking about with this word wanted is he's talking about satisfying people's desires. And I've found that in my ministry that Christians and the church can minimize human desires. And I think I understand why, right? Because when we talk about human desires, usually and often, those things can drift towards being about things that are not of God, that are not following his ways. Human desires and God's ways do not often line up. But here, Jesus satisfies the crowd's desires. And I want to draw your attention that just in the previous chapter, Jesus asked the man born disabled at the pool, do you want to get well? 
right? Remember that interesting question in chapter 5, verse 2? Jesus is trying to explore this human desire, and I can point you back further still to chapter 1, verse 35, where he's talking to the first disciples, and there again he says to them, what do you want? See, the God we see in the gospel of John is a God who is sensitive to our needs, even sensitive to our desires. And so we should see our desires as conduits of his grace. Now, it's true. God may take those desires and train them through self-control or redirect them in a different way, but we can trust that God can handle and even use our desires for his purpose. I mean, that's a light bulb moment in a lot of ways. The things sort of bubbling up in our own hearts, God is going to harness those and use those things, satisfy those things. Now back in our story here, there are 12 baskets of food left over. And that is certainly much more than the five barley loaves and two pickled fish, right? That's kind of the point. John is trying to say, leftover is more than what we started with. And yes, if you're following intently the 12 baskets here in the telling of the story here in John 6, do correspond to the 12 different tribes within Israel, showing that, yes, Jesus can satisfy all of Israel just like God did in Exodus 16. It's a wonderful connection. But even much more than that, after all of Israel is satisfied, there's still much more left over. And I love how he describes it. He says he doesn't want anything to be wasted. And John, he loves doing this. This word wasted means to perish. And he's going to use this word a couple other times. He doesn't want anything to be wasted. In other words, Jesus can satisfy the deepest of human needs, the breadth of humanity's needs. God will never run out. But the crowd misunderstands. This is the plot twist. You know, Jesus is doing this miraculous thing, this miraculous provision, satisfying the crowd's desires in ways that they didn't expect, and the crowd misunderstands it. Clearly, the crowd connects Jesus' miracle here to Exodus 16. We're going to see that later in John chapter 6, verse 30. But the crowd's own preconceived categories prevent them from seeing what is right before their very eyes. Look at verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet, right? A reference to Deuteronomy, specifically Moses. Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and to make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. Now, to be clear, Jesus is a king. But Jesus will not 
be made king by force, and specifically by the force of human hands. Leslie Newbegin says it well when he says that Jesus has come to proclaim liberty to the captives, but he will not become the mascot for a people's movement of liberation. Jesus isn't someone's mascot to simply meet their needs, their human needs. Jesus' kingdom, yes, it will be built as we will see, but it will be built through divine sacrifice through his body seen even in this bread, which will be broken for all of the people. Now, the crowd's inability to move beyond the material, beyond their own material needs, beyond Jesus' simple ability to provide a free food distribution, the crowd's inability to see beyond that will lead most of them to rejecting receiving the deeper food that Jesus offers. And that's the reality of human need. Is when God meets our needs that we can become satisfied only in those simple needs and not go deeper into what Jesus has. But the story doesn't end here. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus still sees their physical need. Jesus still tends to their physical need. And Jesus still offers to satisfy the deeper need. Jesus does want to take the crowds deeper. He wants to take all of his disciples deeper. He's not giving up and saying like, oh man, they totally messed it up. Like, I'm here. I'm the king of all things, and they want to make me king of their own little platform. Forget these guys. No, he still sees and still responds. The question is, who will receive this from Jesus? And the way John tells the story is that the story continues, right? And this time it continues with a small group of disciples, And this small group of disciples thinks that they can navigate stormy seas in the dark. And what they find is that they wind up ineffectively rowing against the wind and ending up halfway across a seven-mile wide lake. I mean, I cannot think of a better picture of human need than straining at the oars in the midst of a storm. This perfectly illustrates human need. And John makes the point. Jesus who rescues is not with them, verse 17, and it's dark. And that's the way it is without Jesus. Now, the disciples have just witnessed Jesus' heart for human need. They know that Jesus tends to and cares for the physical needs of the crowd They've experienced this, and they've experienced his ability to provide, and yet we see it here again. The disciples are in need again, straining at the oars, and what we see is that God shows up again. See, God's care and tenderness towards human need, it's not a one-off event. God's 
comes again and again and again. It's not as, as if, you know, Jesus sees the crowd reject him and says, oh, forget these guys. I'm out of here. No, he comes again, this time in the storm, to provide for his disciples who are in need. God's care is not a one-off, but part of his character. And it's at this point that we begin to see that God's character actually should encourage us not to just call on Jesus to provide for us whatever we need, not just to say the sinner's prayer of salvation and say, oh, I'm done, but to actually live lives that trust in his provision and to go deeper with him. We're seeing that Jesus is sort of bringing his disciples forward little by little. Let's look at the story Right, this small group of disciples is rowing across this, this stormy lake, and it's not as if they don't have needs. You know, It's different from the crowd, but their need actually appears to be more desperate. Look at how John tells the story. At the moment when the waves grew rough, Jesus approaches the boat, walking on the water, but that's kind of just how the story ends and it begins to focus on something different notice what comes into the foreground it's the words of jesus look at verse 18 a strong wind was blowing then the waters grew rough and when they had rowed about three or four miles which is halfway across the lake they saw jesus approaching the boat walking on the water and they were frightened notice they don't say anything beyond that but john goes right to jesus's words but he said to them it is i don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, the words of Jesus are the focus here. And what does Jesus say? He greets them, you know, with a standard divine greeting It is I. Do not be afraid. And we can kind of read it in movie voice and think like, oh, this is, you know, just disconnected. But it's John's, again, his word choice is really unique. The, the phrase, it is I, is the Greek phrase, ego, me, and it could be translated and will be translated throughout the rest of the book as I am. And if you don't know that reference, it's a reference to God's declaration of his own name. In Exodus 3, Jesus will seven times, beginning in chapter 6, verse 35, refer to himself as the I am. And here, maybe this is just a hint that John is sort of nodding to, saying like, Jesus, God, he has shown up again at the point of human need. But what does he focus on? He focuses on the disciples' willingness to receive him. Are we willing to, so to speak, invite him into the boat? Will we receive him into our lives and go deeper? And that's the way the story ends. They were brought immediately to shore. There's no fanfare. There's nothing else. It's, that's it. It's that clear Jesus takes care of it. And again, we see that God sees human need. And this is a truth found throughout the scriptures, that God looks down on his creation and he, his heart goes out to them and he cares for them and will come near them, even their everyday physical needs. 
but he wants us to go deeper. Right? Remember the Samaritan woman and earlier in the book, she was thirsty, and so she's going to the well to draw water, and Jesus says to her what? I have living water so that you will never thirst again. And she says, give me some of that. That's what I want. Here in this story, the crowds were hungry. Jesus provides the bread, and he says, this isn't the bread that you want. I have bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. And they say to him later in this chapter, give me some of that. This is the story. Jesus wants to take us deeper, that we would live whole lives dependent on his provision and direction. That is life in Jesus' name. Now, let me wind things down here as we conclude. As we conclude our time, I think it's important for us to take some time. You know, as I kind of wrestled through this message and thought about it and, you know, looked at it from different perspectives, this telling of it in this gospel is very unique. You know, and even as I, you know, was worshiping the Lord and sort of wrestling through these things again still in my head, you know, just thinking about this truth you know, that God sees human need. It, re- it reminded me that, you know, every single one of us, myself included, when we come through these doors, we come as a person in need. But perhaps today, you're a person in specific need. And I know the drill. I have many times come through the doors of the church and tried to leave my needs at the car. I'm not going to think about what happened this morning, what happened last night, last week. I'm just going to, I just want to, you know, not think about it for just an hour and a half. And you try to check those things at the door, but you come through the door and they're with you. They're here, whether you want them to be or not. When you go out the door, you're going to look at your phone, you're going to see all the emails, all the phone calls, all the texts, the cares of this world, the cares of our family, the needs of our family, of our children, the news, the things that sort of collide against us like waves. My hope today is that as a person in need, that we would express those things to God, even as we sit. That during these next couple songs as the band leads or maybe later this afternoon or throughout the week even, we would simply tell God honestly of our needs. You know, this has kind of become one of the hallmarks of my own personal faith journey that I am brutally honest with God. And I tell him out loud, and don't, you don't want to be around me when I'm doing this because I... It's very voluminous, yeah, it's a lot of volume there. (laughs) But I just tell them honestly what's going on. And you know, as I imagined, you know, where we might be at as a congregation today, I imagined that our needs might even have to do with a person sitting directly next to us. And like in my mind, I just imagine that, you know, we're listening to this message sort of reminding ourselves of the God who sees and provides the food for the the thousands. And we're reminded of the God who sees the crowd or the disciples rowing against the storm and coming near to them. We know our needs, but we just need to 
reach out almost and grab the hand of the person sitting next to us, whether it's a, a friend or a family member, a spouse, or just a close confidant, and just say, I'm going through stuff together with you. We both need to express our needs to the Lord. Or maybe you're at a divine crossroads of sorts. You're not sure what the path forward is. You don't know if it's to the left, to the right, straight ahead. You're stuck without God's grace. You know, we're not a church necessarily that's going to allow you to kind of cry out to God out loud during these worship songs. But you should be crying out to the God who hears in these next moments. And I also want to say that some of this take, one of the takeaways here could also be that God might be calling some of you to go deeper. When I talk about going deeper, I'm talking about people who know that you just have a minimal church connection. You know it. I'm, I'm barely connected here at church. God does want to take you deeper. And there are ways that we could do that, saturating ourselves in God's word and communities where God's word is studied so that his word can begin to form our minds and our hearts. So if you want to go deeper, maybe look for some of those opportunities. You know what? I'm shocked all the time at how simple the advice is. If you want to go deeper with God, one of the things that I have made it a point is just working at, but surrounding myself with a community of God's people. So that, you know, as I do desire to go deeper, and when I am in those key moments of human need, there are people that I could call or text and say, listen, this is what's going on in my life. I need support. I'm shocked often at how many issues there are in the church, and the simple answer is, well, do you have a community of God's people in your life? Going deeper can also look like you know, looking at the world differently. You know, you might be sitting in this congregation today and might be thinking like, well, actually, God has provided for all of my needs. I'm sitting here thanking the Lord for my needs. I actually have so much. I don't know what to do with all of these things. Guess what? God might be calling you to go deeper. And what is that deeper level? It is that you would see the world as God sees the world, a place for mission, a place to provide for others. You may not be in need, but God uses his church who is satisfied to satisfy the needs of others in the church. And it's that mutual reinforcement of the church taking care of those in need in the church and beyond that we begin to see, oh, wow, God is calling me deeper to see the world differently, not to hoard resources, but to give those things away generously, which is easier said than done. You see, when we know the foundation of the character of God, that he is a God who sees our need, responds to it, acts on our behalf, takes care of it, satisfies it, and then calls us to go deeper, when we see that foundation point, that's when we begin to see the true kingdom of Jesus being built. And today, I hope that you saw the character of God 
as one who sees and one who responds. And maybe if this is just a reminder for you, you just take that and thank the Lord. But if this is the first time that you've ever thought, man, God sees me, he doesn't condemn me, doesn't judge me, but he sees me in that need and desires to tend to and care for me, this would be a day and a moment for you to connect with this church community and talk about what God is doing in your life. At this point in our service, we're gonna take some time to sing. We're gonna take some time to meditate on the Lord, maybe some of the words from uh, his word here, and to respond. We're gonna come forward. You can come down to the front here, or the front and the front here on the sides. Those in the courtyards have the tables out there as well. But I wanna leave you with these scriptures from later in John chapter six as both a challenge and an encouragement as we come forward. Jesus says there, do not work for food that spoils. Don't work for food that spoils. The thing that's empty that will just satisfy you and leave you hungry later. He says, work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me, which is what we're going to be doing now as we come forward, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So as we go now, let's come forward. Let's eat and let's believe so that we all together may have life. In Jesus' name.